Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. And we're back with an all-new Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Aida Osman. Hello. And I'm Louis Vertel. I wanted to be the and Louis Vertel, like I'm on an 80s sitcom and I'm... Are you Heather Locklear? Yes. Yeah. Or uh, <laughs> actually, Pat Morita was... on Happy Days yeah. or something. Heather was actually special guest star for seven seasons of Melrose Place. And she really lived that well because she had the most devious look in her eye during all those credits. Always. You want to end a credits with that look. <laughs> I figured we could start things off this week and going forward by just sort of sharing what culture we've been consuming this week. This is a pop culture show. I and guess. people are always Which I love this by the way. People are always thirsty for recommendations yeah. in my mentions asking for book recommendations as if they've never heard of a library. <laughs> uh, b- but uh, Also, only like five books come out at a time anymore. Truly. Read those. Yes. Or if they're going to fall through and actually get the books they asked you about. Yeah, so. you know. Uh, but anyway, I feel like this will be a great place for us to give people recommendations of what we're into and what's driving our convos this week. So, Aida, right. why don't you kick us off? This week, I'll start with the light stuff. I've been, okay, so Devs came out on Hulu, the new Alex Garland show, and I had no interest in, I like, I didn't know who Alex Garland was, so I went back and I watched Ex Machina and I watched Annihilation, like I watched all of his very cerebral. Ex Machina is chef's That kid. girl. It's, the yeah. best, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. There was a time we were excited about Alicia Vikander. It seems <laughs> crazy. Oh my God, what happened? Did it die out? Yeah, well, the she won the Oscar. Lara V. Croft? Yes. Yeah, well. She won an Oscar for the worst movie of the 2010s, The Dane. <laughs> Girl, yes. which was mo- mostly a movie Easily about ignored. Eddie Redmayne acting like Annie Lennox in the Walking on Broken Glass video. <laughs> yes. Somehow, not the worst movie Eddie Redmayne made last decade. Which one was that? Theory of Everything. Oh. oh uh, that, that's not I as bad to me. I that movie. I actually liked that movie. Did you? Yeah, I really did. All right. But it's the back, so Ex Machina, I also I think Kirstie watched. Alley loved it, too. <laughs> <laughs> But I liked it a lot. And speaking of books, I am halfway into Mickey Kendall's Hood Feminism right now, Mm -hmm. which I started um, with anticipation of loving it already because it's called Hood Feminism. But also, um, I'm always trying to educate myself on different types of feminism that don't necessarily relate to me, but I can still find Mm. good in. And also, a little hood. A little hood. Yeah. A little feminism. You always come in with your strap. A little something. <laughs> Don't clarify which strap. I want the audience to. But um, and then it's radio play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lastly, stream "Sugar" by Meg The Stallion. Honestly, the first three songs. That's it. She refuses to let us down, as far as I can tell. I, I find actually this EP a little disappointing, Just, unfortunately. Yeah. But Captain Hook. That's the one. Is a jam the... and Rich. Uh, okay, that one's I love good Rich too. Uh, and Savage. Savage Beautiful is also songs. a good track. It really is the first three tracks and maybe one outlier. But other than that. I still think that B-I-T-C-H is a very lazy Tupac sample. Well, <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> well, that's very that's true. That's all I'm going to say. That's true. Lewis? Mine is a lot simpler than that. Uh, this song, of course, came out seconds after we recorded last week's episode. Uh, I have been listening to the Dixie Chicks' Gaslighter, which is their first single in probably 14 years. Yes. I couldn't love Natalie Maines' voice more. She she has that voice of somebody who's interrupting a hootenanny to tell you all to go <laughs> fuck yourselves. 
which I always love. The song itself is like pretty light for them. There's no rollicking banjo solo in the middle of it. It's not tugging at the heartstrings. It's telling off a man, which is a familiar lane for them. It's nice to hear them go back to that, even as they bring on Jack Antonoff, who's new to their dynamic. I will say, the term gaslighter is about three years out of date for me. I don't know that I needed a whole song about it. And in fact, the lyrics, I'll say, are some of their worst ever. I love yeah. the chorus. Yes. It's, the chorus, but the verses, I'm just like, It's uh, like if Britney Spears released Toxic Now, you'd be like, oh, bitch, that word, you know? Yeah. Right. Move on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Carry on. It's exactly like but that. But she released it back then, so it was okay. But yeah, I, I feel you. But the chorus did come around for me. Should have dropped if, this in 2017. Yeah. That said, if, and, and you kind of wonder if maybe they wrote it back then, too. Mm. Yeah. Um, that said, if Britney Spears did release Toxic Now, I would be very shocked she was aware of any dialogue occurring in pop <laughs> yeah, culture whatsoever. That she reads. <laughs> I continue to be stunned by it when she was a judge on, that was the X Factor for a It was the second, X Factor, right? her and Demi Lovato. She said, she compared, I will simply say, a random black auditioner to Lauren Hill. And I remember thinking, that was the last time you paid attention to pop culture, <laughs> 1998, before you got mm. sucked into it and became the whole thing. Yeah. Because mm. this person had... Nothing to do with Lauren Hill, yeah. for the yeah. record. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. I mean, a real Lauren Hill fan like Gina Rodriguez would have known. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to this whole album. Uh, and just for the fun of it, I'll pick my favorite Dixie Chick song ever, which is definitely Long Time Gone, in which they say the old country is dead. Uh, they make fun of Hank Williams Jr. And when at the BET Awards, I believe, was it the BET Awards? They performed with Beyonce. And no, they, it was the Country Music Awards. Country, oh, that's it. That's it. Yes. It was Beyonce invading. Yes, very good. I was. I forgot who the invaders were. Yes. Well, technically, they were the invaders because oh, yeah, Beyonce, they hate them. yes, like the country world hates them now after their whole George Bush comments. And so Beyonce was performing her huge like um, song, Daddy Lessons, and she brought them along right, with right. her and was like, fuck you, white people. And they sprung this song, which is just literal condemnation of country music on the crowd all these years later. Still such a jam. Okay, well, <laughs> my thing uh, of this week is, uh, I forgot to mention it uh, last week, but I still keep thinking about this Katori Hall play that I saw when I was in New York. It is called Hot Wing King, and it was fascinating. And it actually is like the, it's about like four gay men in Memphis, Tennessee, one of the characters is a chef, and he's trying to win this hot wing competition, basically, that happens every year in Memphis. And his partner is sort of taking care of his nephew after his sister died, and the nephew's drug-dealing father comes into the picture. It's basically just like a classic family drama, mm-hmm. but it's like told through the lens of like four black gay characters. Oh, you know? right. And so wow. it's like, it's really sort of like a fun, traditional, soapy play. You know, you'd feel like Tennessee Williams or like Eugene O'Neill would have written something like this. Oh, uh, yeah. Tell me there's a point where they it's look It's funnier. Like... <laughs> uh, it's, it's actually very much a comedy, too. So, you know, like calling it Eugene O'Neill-y is probably too much. Oh, yeah. Um, very like August Wilson sort of vibes, you know? Like it feels a lot like... Joe Turner's come and gone, you know, sort of about like a man realizing like his destiny. Anyway, I would also recommend, uh, speaking of like 
dramas and soaps. You know, I love Douglas Sirk, and you know, I love soap operas. Uh, so you I was, have brought that up before, yes. Yeah, so I was reading this um, lovely essay book called The Fan Who Knew Too Much, Aretha Franklin, The Rise of the Soap Opera, Children of the Gospel Church, and Other Meditations by Anthony Howbutt. That and sounds beautiful. How are they going to make that all come together? That's I mean, really it's different essays. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's it's like, it starts off with like an essay about like black queer people in the church and in gospel music. Um, and then next is an essay about Aretha Franklin. Um, there's an essay about soap operas in it. So like, it's really just sort of about like how all of these pieces that of pop culture to you. tie into, you know, yeah, sort of right. like yeah. marginalized communities. Yeah. 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 I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have a fantastic show today. We are going to dive into Hulu's four part Hillary Clinton documentary. All four of them. All four. It's an Irishman length Hillary Clinton situation. Truly. Then we're going to get into a wild exit from Grey's Anatomy, which, yes, is still on, Lewis. Right, yes. <laughs> I still watch it. I wasn't accusing anybody. Really? Yeah. But sometimes, yeah. I'm usually a season behind. I watch it on Netflix. Right, that's fair. The thing that's yeah. shocking about Grey's Anatomy is that it's not by now on some streaming service you've never heard of. It is still an extremely popular ABC show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'll sit down for a conversation with media legend Tamron Hall. I guess I look forward to listening to yeah, that. Beautiful. Maybe it'll be good. Can we trust your skills? I don't know. Stay tuned, everybody. (laughs) We'll be right back. After its premiere at Sundance, Nanette Burstein's docuseries Hillary landed on Hulu over the weekend. The four-part series goes back and forth between Hillary's rise to national consciousness and her failed 2016 bid for the presidency. It's being praised for peeling back the curtain on one of America's most visible, divisive, and unreadable political figures. Yes. Uh, I was sort of prepared to like this because I really like uh, Nanette Burstein's On the Ropes. It's a very good documentary. And surprise... It was very addictive. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know the last time I watched four hours of anything. I'm mad. Basically problem free. Yeah, four hours. And I kept going back. Like, I accidentally watched the last two first. And I was I was not on. I know. I'm an idiot. Were you on Ambient? <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> the last two. And then I went and I was like, I don't really like this. This is missing something. And then I went back and watched the first two. And I was like, Nanette needed all four of those hours. <laughs> I really think so. Like, the first two episodes, especially about Bill and their relationship, really had me like, Almost mm-hmm. crying. It was nice in contrast to what I'm currently watching as well, McMillions, which I feel like is spitting its wheels. Oh, yeah. Ooh. It did not need to be six episodes. No, I feel like most shows like that are like that. Like, yeah. if you watch Making a Murderer, by the end, it's just stock footage. I didn't need the extra three hours that I spent that Christmas watching <laughs> oh. Making, a, uh, Making a Murderer. Oh. What an awful time. Yeah, one thing I thought this documentary did well is get into how interesting reactions to Hillary Clinton are. Because she is a beguiling personality. And I think one way pop culturally this has evidenced itself is that on SNL, I think this is true, she's still been portrayed on a consistent basis by more cast members than anybody else in history, going back to Jan Hooks and obviously now into Kate McKinnon. The five people who've done it, which are Jan Hooks, Janine Garofalo. Wow. Anna Gasteyer. Yes, Anna Gasteyer, Amy Poehler, and uh, Kate McKinnon. Those impressions have nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. You would honestly think they were portraying five different people. One of them, like Anna Gasteyer, was very angry and shrewish, whereas Kate McKinnon is sort of unhinged. Amy Poehler is a little bit resentful. Uh, yeah. if you remember the, uh, the Sarah Palin debacle uh, mm-hmm. and those sketches. 
And it's interesting to think, why were we so either wrong? Or why do we have so many wild guesses about her? Why do we never seem to be right? And I thought this documentary really focused on that in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. What I found about this documentary is it sort of had the same effect, I would say, that Miss Americana had on me. You know, I came away from Miss Americana with obviously plenty of opinions about Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I finished it feeling like I can't really just sort of dislike her that much anymore. You know, you sort of got into her psyche in a way that she felt a lot more human. And I would say the same thing does for Hillary Clinton. Not that I particularly disliked her. You know, I actually supported her uh, in 2016 over Bernie. Um, and I feel like the only time I was really ever at odds with her was during the Obama race in mm -hmm. 2008. Um, but getting into that, getting into the 90s, um, which I feel like has sort of passed us and it's hard to contextualize it even now just because there's so much shit from the 90s that has sort of affected our opinion of her, our parents' opinion of her, public opinion of her, um, that is unfortunately something that she can never really escape now. You know, you yeah. can't really reinvent yourself as a politician. Right. You know what's interesting, though, is I was shocked at how surface level and unfair certain analyses of her were. For instance, something I can't get out of my head is during a debate in 2008, John Edwards makes a comment and says, I don't know about that blazer, though, to her. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that was only 12 years ago? I like I truly don't remember that. And that's a comment I would have associated with the 80s. You know? yeah. Yeah. Something Geraldine Ferraro would have had to deal with or something. I would compare it to Miss Americana in that I expected to learn of a secret device behind the way uh, Hillary Clinton thinks, when in fact... She is just this person who sort of under-emotes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's sort of like the answer to the question, yeah. I think. I mean, I feel like the secret device, too, is wrapped up in what you realize her Achilles heel is. And I mean, I know they try and say it once in um, the documentary, but I largely think it's, too, from this place of privilege as a white woman who is sort of well-to-do, like the idea that because she believes something is correct it's necessarily correct to everyone else you know and like there are so many weird instances you're watching throughout the documentary where she has these fumbles these public fumbles and it's sort of if you went out and just sort of dealt with it head on you wouldn't have a lot of the problems that we were experiencing. She does have a lot yeah. of evasive answers to weird yes. confrontational moments. And, and it's like when they ask about her, will you release something? And maybe it was the emails or something. And she s responded with something like, the I'll look into for, that. The transcripts for her Wall Street speeches. That's and what it is. Yes. A lot of that was questions where it was like, how dare you ask me this? Mm -hmm. You know? And it's like, I like that there was a person on our team who I feel like pointed out that a lot of these questions were like sort of fair. Uh, obviously, the press was awful to her, and we'll get into that. But like, and the Comey some of thing these... was like in, in, un, insufferable and untenable. And yeah. yeah, right. But some questions were very fair, and I guess unfortunately, when you sort of been hounded by the media like that, you become very defensive of everything. It was eye opening, I guess, to see that first instance that she had had with the media when Clinton was first running against. Um, Jerry Brown right. for the Democratic nomination. That was some finger pointing between the two of them, literally, yes. on screen. Our former governor. That's right. Uh, former Linda Ronstadt <laughs> paramour. 
Uh, it was so weird seeing old Jerry Brown, by the way. Right. I was like, who is this man? That he was like a huge celebrity too. Like that that's like lost on a current generation, I think. Yeah. yeah. Now I just think of him as the asshole who kept bars from closing at four AM. <laughs> The resentment you feel? We don't pray for much. But he goes after Hillary in his debate with Bill saying that like he's funneling money into Mm -hmm. her law firm. When he is asked about it, he says, well, why don't you ask Hillary like when a news camera's on him? And she just sort of, this is like her first real interaction with like national media. And she's like, well, I suppose I could have sat at home, you know, and like made tea and baked cookies or whatever. And that was sort of like the inciting incident of America deciding that they hate her and that she's a bitch. Mm -hmm. And also the interesting thing about that comment, and this is the, the thing I'll probably take away most from the special. Obviously that quote is very famous. What she was talking about was, she could have acted like other first ladies. She wasn't yeah. saying other uh, American women correct. or in general. Which is weird. And like she obviously never, I mean, she tried correcting that and she tried clarifying, but it just did not stick, which it is sort did. of like a signature Hillary Clinton thing. I think for me, what I'm taking away from this documentary is my understanding of Hillary Clinton like started in 2008, I would say. Mm-hmm. My problem with her was always that I felt like she could never really connect with us. Like she was lacking this very visceral human ability to connect with people. But then watching this documentary, I watched a woman made callous by media and, you know, someone who was encouraged to not actually speak up and talk about her opinions in a true way. So I'm like, you guys took humanity from her. Like, I see her at 20, 22, very vibrant and happy. And you see now that the Hillary Clinton that she is, of course, has aged and matured, but is also kind of cold. The Hillary who was campaigning for her husband in Arkansas. I was like, this was a wonderful person, mm-hmm. you know? It's like the, the the clip where they showed her just like handing out pamphlets, being like, are you going to vote for him? But even some of that spirit was taken away when she had to shift to Mrs. Clinton, right? Right. You know, like that whole weird debacle over her not taking his last name when they got married, when he tried his reelection bid for governor. It is... I guess not shocking because of the time period, but it's still so weird to like look at that now and be like, that's what people gave a fuck about. Right. Yeah. You know, and but and also how daunting every chapter of her career is. Like when they get to when the name Monica Lewinsky comes up, you have to oh just grip God. the title and be like, <laughs> all this again. Three. Yeah. Or like, yeah, Paula Jones, Jennifer Flowers, yeah. like mm-hmm. all these like Names and the 2008 election, the 2016 election. And then it's daunting to even talk about right here, right now, because I still feel like when you say that name, people immediately think, and I've heard people say this about this own documentary, can't she just go away right now? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, it's like, when is the right time to reflect on this person's legacy? Mm -hmm. You always feel like saying the name Hillary Clinton is like cursing a political conversation. Mm -hmm. There's a quote from her in this movie where she mentions Bernie and how she wasn't impressed with him as a Saturn, he didn't get anything done or whatever. And that has already become this lightning rod moment where people are yelling, shut up at her again. It never feels like we're giving the correct reaction to this person. It constantly reminded me of, and I bring this movie up a lot in this podcast, A Cry in the Dark, which mm-hmm. is a Meryl Streep movie. You know, the, the dingo ate my baby is the famous line <laughs> from it. But it's a movie about how a woman basically reacted, quote unquote, incorrectly to a lot of speculation about her possibly murdering her kid. And she refused to basically weep on camera or mm. give you, you know, the soundbite you wanted. 
Hillary Clinton is is a little like that. It's she gave qualified responses, but in a way, it always made you sort of tilt your head askew and ask, "Is that correct? What? Why am I not getting a hundred percent satisfaction from that answer?" And you have to wonder, is it your problem or her problem or what's all our problem? It's unfortunate because um, a woman like Hillary, who was polarizing as a first lady, um, and you know maybe she had had the example of Eleanor Roosevelt to look to. There was that very gross sort of like news segment where someone was talking about Hillary Clinton and like a woman compared her to Eleanor Roosevelt, and the guy was sort of like, I mean, that's the problem. Uh, but <laughs> complete idiot, Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, they have a lot of similarities, but um, Eleanor wasn't awash in this whole like media landscape that was one heavily partisan and two just turning tawdry tabloid shit into news you know i feel like there was a point when a reporter was talking about the monica Lewinsky story he mentioned that like they didn't write about that kind of shit you know and it was like the clinton era sort of ushered in writing about this stuff constantly and it's what we do now and i feel like unfortunately hillary is a example for future women you know to sort of um follow and you know she was sort of the sacrificial lamb uh i think that way often about michelle obama who also was hardened you know by the media you know not just as a outspoken first lady but as the first outspoken black first lady you know i feel like when you go back and get that Michelle documentary after whatever she does with the rest of her career um, you will see you know the sort of like gendered and racist attacks that were similar to Hillary's and then also worse because she was a black woman Um, and it's funny when people talk about how oh they wish Michelle would run for office right I was like why so you can tear her apart like you did Hillary (laughs) and also seeing even how high Michelle's approval ratings may be I'm like so were Hillary's mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, during a lot of other moments. But when she decided to step into the public eye and run for office, they plummeted. Yeah. You know, it's they also have in common, Hillary and Michelle Obama. There's this question lingering in the air. Are they angry or is it just that they are lawyers? <laughs> yeah, like, they that chose too. that profession. Yeah, that they chose political men. Like, what does that say about them? <laughs> they want to fight. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Just, but I think one thing that I I did clock, and I have to say, is that I felt like Hillary was wanting to make a lot of comparisons to herself as like leading this way for feminism and maybe for white women and feminism. Mm-hmm. And in the eighties and nineties, she was, but there was not. There was like one woman of color on her team. It was just her and a bunch of Amelia Bedelia looking ass white women. <laughs> and they, they're working very hard for Hillary, but there was no women of color around. And the fact that Hillary didn't notice that or talk about that in the documentary, I think it just felt like they were having that same pink pussy hat conversation about like, oh, they're going to talk about my shoes and not Bernie's shoes. Some black women don't have water, Hillary. Are you going to talk about that? That is probably my biggest critique of Hillary is that I couldn't connect to her. And also she doesn't really talk about marginalized classes of people. The people around her constantly kind of embarrassed me. Like when they were watching her during debates and like, like, I'm not saying they were like saying snap, snap as she made her points. But it was like like they were overreacting to meager victories she had in debates, which maybe that's just hindsight is 2020. But after she, you know, lost, so I'll call it soundly, it just felt like she'd been misled by her own people is what it Mm -hmm. looked like. Yeah. Constantly. Uh, 
it, I mean, I feel like we all sort of felt that after the 2016 election and just sort of seeing it, there didn't seem to be a lot of pushback from anyone on her team and sort of like really guiding her through. Listen, you are a polarizing media figure and the crying the dark example is like you, ex- you know what the media expects of you at this point, you know, and like, unfortunately, if you want to be president, you're going to have to sort of play that game. You know, and it's interesting to see them play the political game of her defending Bill and being by Bill's side, et cetera, and yet unwilling to sort of do that for herself. Yeah. Obviously, um, a lot of the Bill stuff was hard to watch um, because I don't like that man. Yeah. Um, and, and we're still in the thrush of other things surrounding him, you know, like it's not. There's no closure on that. I yeah, think. I mean, I didn't think there would really be any closure on yeah. it anyway. I thought it would mostly get lip surface. I was shocked during that moment where he sort of apologized. Uh, and I feel like that apology... Regarding Monica Lewinsky. Regarding Monica Lewinsky. And I feel like that apology was genuine because he was apologizing to Hillary. I think he, in retrospect, now realizes that he fucked up her presidential bid. Mm-hmm. Like, unfortunately most of her future was determined by standing by his side um, and that lie he told her about the affair. And unfortunately, her going out and defending him made her look stupid. You, you know? know? Also, by the way, did they only get Chelsea for like six minutes? You know? <laughs> what a curiously She's small like, part I of the documentary. She's like, I want a per diem. I want I, high salary. I'm not coming. <laughs> like. Because the the Bill stuff, he he's a huge part of it, and he comments on every part of her career and has a pretty good memory of it all. So he was a valuable voice in the documentary. But um, I don't feel like I came away knowing him any better either. No, not other at all. other than I, you you are reacquainted with the fact that he is slick. I mean, he's just yeah. a smooth speaker. Yeah. You know, of course. I mean, even still, particularly when I'm watching Joe Biden every day, and it's like, wow, Bill Clinton still has it way more together than you. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, and just being reminded too about you know her college friends who were like none of them were shocked about the Monica Lewinsky thing because mm-hmm. it was just I think that was a very insightful part of it. Right, a lot of them talking about the period where it came out. And while Bill was still lying to the point where he admitted it, everyone was just sort of like, don't bring this up with Hillary when you're around her because they all knew that it happened. Yeah. Also- and, they, and they were like, is this willful ignorance on your part? And I feel like, yes, um, there's a lot of parts of Hillary that are obviously very genuine. And I do believe that she cares about children and people and feminism. And The documentary uh, really makes a good case for that. Yes. Yeah. But I also think that she is smart and politically motivated. And, you know, it's like the willful ignorance on the Monica Lewinsky thing is like something that can be explained away with loving a husband, obviously. But I'm like, there was a part of her that had to have known that, like, he was lying. Mm-hmm. Just because that's who he is. Um, and we'd seen mm-hmm. it historically <laughs> that he was a liar about infidelity. Maybe she just didn't think he'd be that stupid. Right, right. Because then when he admitted, like, the Monica Lewinsky thing was just dumb. And a distraction is what he called it, I think. Yeah. Diversion. Yeah. But by the way, you just brought up her Wellesley colleagues. That is secretly an interesting thing about Hillary Clinton that isn't discussed as much as when she made, uh, she was one of the first student speakers at her commencement at Wellesley College, which is obviously a women's college. And she followed some guy who was like, I think a Methodist priest or something, a method, I don't know religious terms, but anyway. I think he was a conservative (laughs) politician. Correct. Oh, okay. Well, he gave a speech basically being like, the revolution we're currently in, this is the late 60s, mm-hmm. we're all going to be fine. 
ladies, sort of implying like, home is where you belong, etc. And she extemporaneously responded to him and whooped up the crowd and mm-hmm. stuff. And you really don't think of her like that at all as no. somebody who's like thinking like that on her feet as opposed to preparing ahead of time for all the possible like for instance in a debate what somebody can say and she's already prepared a response to that whereas right on the spot and in the case of this commencement she had a really awesome moment that's all on tape you can listen to it online yeah well if anything i would say that goes to aida's point that um she was sort of made hollow by the media i mean that really has no direct line from that moment to her debates with donald trump because i feel like a person who would be thinking on her feet the the moments where she's talking about how he's stalking her on stage right and like she wanted to turn around yeah. and respond to him i was like girl i wish you had yeah. especially at that 2016 i really feel like she could have gotten away with turning around at some point she says it wasn't the time i would have been deemed as this i would have been deemed as that i think that could have gotten her points yeah i mean unfortunately uh hindsight is 2020 but you know it's also the idea that you know you're already vilified in the media you know is just sort of what else were you going to do um and i think that she was constantly crippled by how she'd been treated in the media at each iteration of her career that unfortunately she wasn't really that person that we met in that early speech someone who could immediately think on their feet and not worry about the consequences of what she was going to say too because she was a college student then you know she Mm -hmm. wasn't thinking like if i say this Everything in my future is done. Right. Yeah. No, th- and they make the point that at that time, no one had any concept of a woman running for president. The whole feminist wave at that point was, I just want a job that is intellectually rigorous, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. like meets my skill set, basically. How painful was it watching that guy, quote unquote, prep her for the 2016 That's debate what I was just uh. about- where he's being Donald Trump, but it's not nearly the level of chaos he brought to it's the proceedings. Yeah. And nor is, and Hillary's reactions were actually real. Like, did you see her turn around and kind of like, yeah, you know, drop and- her jaw? And I was like, what are you guys preparing for? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Are you guys going to have a standoff? What is going on? <laughs> She's in Charles Xavier's danger room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say that. Watching this in the context of just sort of pop culture now, too, uh, I was thinking, obviously, of The Good Wife a lot, because Mm -hmm. The Good Wife was modeled after Hillary. Um, And it's just interesting seeing, like, how that show parsed a lot of the Clinton dynamic and made it into good entertainment and, like, ways for you to sort of dissect it and now just sort of realize the idea of a woman standing by her man, you know, politically was what was expected, right? It was nice seeing that divide with Huma, you know, who had left Anthony Weiner, uh, and yet he still fucked up her life. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the fact of seeing all these decisions by men continue to fuck up her life was kind of Greek, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was sort of like a tragedy watching the entire thing. It was like this one thing that she'll never be able to escape. And of course, Juliana Margulies and Hillary Clinton both have that thing where you're wondering, are you dealing with a really terrible migraine right now? There's something in your eyes I can't see. I can't (laughs) read. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a tragedy. It's like we just need to move on to some new characters politically in America because everyone seems to be bogged down by this history that is not helpful for America whatsoever, unfortunately. And I do feel bad watching it and feeling bad for her and obviously her hopes and her dreams, um, you know, but those are 
dashed for a lot of people every day, you know, <laughs> like um, even looking at our current race, you know, people like Kamala and Warren, like very capable women. Um, and, and when they showed that medley of those people at the end being like, well, we have all these women running and they just freshly all are gone. Freshly yeah. all out. Yeah. That's the tragedy aspect, right? Yeah. You know, it's dark and it made me feel sad about America yeah. and its fucked upness and how um, even now, People really won't admit that being a woman is what stopped Warren from yes. getting the nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, lo- I can't picture m- two straight men, most straight men, having a conversation about a woman. Period. Yeah, that isn't about I want to date them or it's my mom. Yeah, and um, stop pretending that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It matters. But I also just feel like we need a new wash of politics in right. America yeah. of people. The players. I do have to say, uh, my, my takeaway also is that I do find her sound bites in the in this slightly under insightful. I didn't come away with a lot of comprehension on her part. That said, I do think the movie is successful, basically as a Wikipedia of her career. Of course, I think, yeah. I think it's worth watching for that reason. It was it was more of a recap interview. Yes, you know there, yes. there was never a moment that. where I felt like the interviewer was going to ask a dangerous question, mm-hmm. um, a question that might make her pause and might make her go. Why'd you ask that? I mean, it felt like Miss Americana in that way, too, in that um, Mm -hmm. Hillary felt like she had control of the documentary. But also, there's no differing voices in the documentary. It's everyone. It's just people who support her. It's a hallway of people who are on Hillary's side, which made it hard to, you know, want to recognize There's a few moments, but few and far between. They're not deep. Anyway, I doubt that this closes the chapter on Hillary, because I feel like there's still... So much to parse. I mean, suits to be panted. Yeah, and we got Chelsea's story that'll come in like twenty years. Right. Yeah. that she talks about all of the like being an only child, and yeah. it's that's a lot. It's gonna be a lot. And I mean, there's still like an eight part documentary series on what the fuck she was doing in those woods. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Janine Pirro, <laughs> famously correct. I'm waiting for Janine's documentary, yeah. <laughs> Hillary in the Woods, <laughs> coming to Quibi. <laughs> All right, when we're back, um, I sit down with Cameron Hall. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like 
basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. I am so excited to be here with Tamron Hall. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I, this is surreal because I followed you on social media. I know. And, you know, it's one of the, I feel like we're on an awkward first blind date. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, we've seen each other's social media picture and you're like, oh, he does look like he looks on the picture. Yes. And then you're like, oh, okay, I, we're, we're in a safe space now. <laughs> and of course, I've seen you on TV for years, yeah. you know, from today and now your own show. So you are able to basically just make the show that you want now. Well, I'll be 100% real. I know the show that I pitched and like anything, um, when you're creating it, you have people who come in and they Mm -hmm. they say, well, what about this? And what about that? You're a creator. You know that. The minute someone sees a good idea, they say, now how can I change that good idea? (laughs) So of course I experienced that in the first few months of the show, but I do believe, and I've said this, uh, we were just at a big TV convention, January 6th was really an awakening. I Mm -hmm. think my team fully understood after the three months of such hard work in launching this show, what does a traditional daytime show look like? Mm -hmm. You know, when I was pitching the idea of a one single topic show or just two topics, People are like, no way. You got to do Hot Topics. You got to do this. <laughs> Nobody's going to watch. And slowly but surely, we tested the market, including mm-hmm. an entire show on IVF. Mm-hmm. You know, we just did a show with Billy Porter, yeah. where we started out with Billy, who's been a friend of mine I for a long time. Episode. Thank you. And, yeah. and, and I appreciate that because that was one of those shows that when I was unemployed for those two and a half years or whatever, I thought, that's the show that I want to do. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just talk about pose and how cool the show is. I want to bring in the real people, the real culture that inspired mm-hmm. it. So there we had Billy Porter, and then we dovetail to this incredible house of kids who are artistic, but also the heart behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, a few years ago, I... Um, volunteered at a shelter in New York for LGBTQI kids. And I didn't know that at 18, they tapped out of the system, if you will. And that is why there's such an incredible rate of homelessness amongst those group of children. Mm -hmm. And that's where the houses came into play. We learned it in Pose, but in 2018, when I was sitting in that room, it's still there today. Mm -hmm. So to have that culture and to have that artistry represented, that was my dream show. So I think that we are in that sweet spot now, but it's been a battle. Absolutely, it's been a battle. I wasn't given carte blanche, (laughs) (laughs) even though my name is on it, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, What was your inspiration for the show? Talking about, you know, those ideas that you might have had when you initially conceived it, like what kind of daytime TV did you enjoy watching? You know, for me, I've always loved like Mike Douglas, Dinah Shore, Oprah, Phil mm-hmm. Donahue, Rolanda. I mean, I can mm-hmm. name Jenny Jones, yes. you know, Ricky Lake. I'm a kid of TV. Yeah. I'm a TV kid. I, I used to go to sleep. I still go to sleep with the TV on, but I was a latchkey kid because mm-hmm. my mom was a single mom early on in my childhood. So, Same. I feel like I'm from the last generation of kids where it's like I was absolutely. left at home. No, you jump up on a 
counter, TV. you get your Captain Crunch, and yeah. then you sit down and you watch your shows. You know, I could tell you my TV lineup mm-hmm. when I was seven. It was like Happy Days, well, it was ha- uh, What's Happening, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley. I mean, I set my <laughs> clock to it. Um, I think I was like Power Rangers oh, yeah, 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 so, and Batman, Spider-Man. See, you know, yeah. right? And it, it shapes who you are as a person. And then when you're lucky enough to do what we do, which is our passion and our heart, you, in a creative way, try to bring that to the table. So for me, I really wanted this traditional daytime talk show where we could really talk about everything. I tell people, if you take your mask off, I take mine off. We are real people and we can have a conversation. Um, my makeup artist, Tanil, who is over here watching on her social media page, she don't care about my interview. <laughs> she laughs at me because I always say, people are people. But it is true. Um, we want a shot. We don't want somebody's boot on our neck. We don't want to oppress or suppress anyone at the expense of our gaining something. We want to mm-hmm. gain it fair and square. So for me, I just wanted a talk show where we could have fun with fashion and then we can go and have a substantive conversation mm-hmm. on any topic that you can imagine. Because you have gonna... turned out some looks. Listen, the, <laughs> the looks are real, which is crazy because I, you know, my fashion influence was my grandfather. My grandfather mm-hmm. was a sharecropper, you know, with a second grade education. But when he would go to church, he'd have his Stacey Adams on, his hat, you know, <laughs> whatever brand of it was, probably from the dollar store. But in my, where I'm from in the South, he was clean, you know, mm-hmm. he was always clean, they say. And um, I've always loved fashion. We launched a series at the beginning of September when the show launched on up and coming designers. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to be able to give friends that I have who make clothes, who, you know, want that dream, that Project Runway kind of feel yeah. without it being a contest. Because mm-hmm. that's also the spirit of our show, Ira, is that the underdog. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone, I believe, in most cases, has felt you felt like an underdog at some mm-hmm. point in your life. I wasn't the kid that people would bet on. I wasn't the person the Today Show bet on. Yeah. I've experienced it. That's not to say that's a pity party, mm-hmm. and that's not to say that I didn't get bigger, stronger, better mm-hmm. out of all of those adversities. But when I look at myself, I often see, you know, not this cute top that I have on today, but <laughs> I see, you know, that seven-year-old kid from a single parent that on paper and in person was not likely to be bet on. Mm-hmm. Talking about the Today Show, yeah. not betting on you, how did that feel? I mean, I assume it felt like job? awful. <laughs> y- yes. Okay, it felt exactly yes. like that. <laughs> and, and for it to happen, you know, in such a public way, yeah. too. When I've lost a job, the world didn't know about it. You know, my mom found out. Your mom, you're like, Mom, they gave me the slip, the pink slip. And by the way, when you get it, it's not a pink slip. Um, no, you know what's crazy? I had no idea that people would receive it in that way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even in the front of my mind. Mm-hmm. I was terrified that I would be unemployed as a 40-something-year-old single woman. I didn't have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have an estate or a trust fund. I am my backup plan. So Mm -hmm. instinctively, I went to my own survival. And then I looked at the landscape of television where, you know, my friend Don Lemon is the only black person to host a primetime show in cable, Mm -hmm. which the mass audience, at least on MSNBC and CNN, are women and people of color. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the... The landscape thinking, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I, early on in my career, replaced the same black woman at two different stations. I replaced her in <laughs> Dallas. Oh, yeah. When she saw me come, she's like, you kidding me? Um, <laughs> you like the Grim Reaper I was like her. the Grim Reaper. She knew. And it's so sad because it was a one-for-one culture. Mm-hmm. You know, 
there was one black woman at that station I was interviewing. Everyone knew when I was walking in whose job I was being considered for. Mm -hmm. And it happened twice. So now that was in my early part of my career in the 90s, 2000s. Now we're in 2016 or 2017, whenever I lost the job. And I'm looking at where am I going to go? And I started to get these offers that were not comparable to my 25 years of experience, which Mm -hmm. was also not, I mean, and I'm able to set ego aside and recognize that that has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. Those are the people in the rooms where it happened and what they see they need to hire or they believe they need Mm -hmm. to hire. So anyway, I uh, know how I felt. I was embarrassed. I was Mm -hmm. hurt. I was more, though, the overwhelming thing was... I have to get a job. I've worked every day since I was 14. So it wasn't about losing a spot on TV. Mm -hmm. It was, I have to take care of myself. What did you do during that period that sort of like Hmm, helped you get through it? Oh, well, you know, I helped me get through it. First, a thing that I did not expect, people started to ask if I could do speaking engagements. Mm -hmm. And clearly I love to talk. Um, but, (laughs) But all of a sudden I'm getting invitations from women organizations around the country who relate it to the next chapter, who relate it to the idea that you can take the punch, but you don't have to stay on the mat. And it became this universal energy. And before I knew it, I was speaking all around the country for two years. What I didn't know, Ira, was that, I guess, and you know this as a TV kid, I guess I'm producing a show in the back of my mind and I didn't even know it. I was like tagging story ideas that people would come to me and say, oh, have you heard about this? And that was a part of the formation or the formula of this show. A lot of the topics that I encountered and the people that I encountered over those two years, which sustained me emotionally Mm -hmm. because it kept me connected to people, but it allowed me to accumulate stories and affirm to me that we have so much in common Mm -hmm. and where can I bring all of this to one show? Mm -hmm. And that's how it happened. Thinking about even just this landscape you're talking about, you know, like um, you talked about being friends with Don Lemon. Um, What's it like being in the news world? You know, like for those of us Mm -hmm. who don't know it, you know, like what's it like? Like are you sort of interacting with each other, trying to help each other with stories? Do you talk about your jobs when you're um, out or do you just like, let's leave it all behind? Well, it depends. I mean, I think that, are you asking me, do I have friends in the media? Of course I do. Do I think that like the world, the media is compartmentalized mm-hmm. and there are, there is a class system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there is. There's the upper echelons of media. Uh, there is the, the divide racially. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you, you might be a BET news anchor yeah. and somebody at one of the traditional newscasts looks down upon you. There's a divide in print media as it relates to culture, race, you know, all of those things. So it's just like America, you mm-hmm. know, it's not a monolith. Everybody's not friends. Everybody doesn't live in the townhouse in Georgetown. Every media person doesn't make $32 million. And some people look down on local. I remember when I first got to national news and there were people who would say, ah, yeah, local news. And I'm thinking, you know, when you look at the stats, the local news is still the most trusted form of information. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I have friends. Joy Reid is one of my dear friends. Yeah. Don Lemon. It's like anything in life. It's like high school. I liked all the people, but I don't still talk to all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I have I have a lot of great friends who are in the media. And we, we have a 
Oh, I'll tell you this little secret. There's a group of us. I won't tell you who's on the text, but there's a text <laughs> thread of about three or four media people. Okay. <laughs> and we li- we watched. You're happy trying to figure it oh, out. Oh my god! If my phone ever got broken into, <laughs> please, that would be a mess. But no, you know we're human beings, and we go through the same things that anybody else. And we, I know that the media. It's taking a hit, and we always have. In fact, I just watched the Mike Wallace documentary. Uh, Mike Wallace is here. It's brilliant mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it. Um, but, yeah, I, I have true and tried friends. I remember Savannah Guthrie. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was one of the first people who learned that I was pregnant. Yeah. So you have these friendships, certainly. Al Roker mm-hmm. is Uncle Al. Come on, <laughs> yeah, come on please. Uh, so, yeah, but I do think, like the country has always been, you know, the media has its divide as well. Mm-hmm. Talking about the media taking a hit, as you mentioned, How do you think the media is shaping now, you know? I mean, we're we're in such a weird place where it's a lot of journalism isn't trusted, you know? And um, you have shows that are like a daytime show, you know, where you're coming into people's homes um, and you're trying to get them to trust you and also entertain them. Um, Do you think the media is still in a healthy place? Well, I'll say this. First of all, if you have to try to get someone to trust you, you have a problem. Mm-hmm. You earn trust in any relationship you have. So we have to earn the trust of the people who are watching. So my show, each day I try to bring my authentic self. No, I'm not going to tell you every fight I had with my husband. But <laughs> if we're talking about a relationship, yes, I'm going to bring in some of the things that happened within my own life. I don't think uh, – there's a, a Reverend William Barber. I'm sure you know him mm-hmm. from Moral Mondays. He said you know, in his wonderful speech that I was present for – if you tell your children that this is the worst that we've seen, you're doing a disservice to your child. Mm-hmm. Um, the world watched as millions of Jews were killed in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. The world watched during the civil rights uprising in the South. And the world watched while Trayvon Martin was killed. Mm-hmm. The political times are certainly bonkers. <laughs> but um, is it testing something that's never been pushed? I, I don't quite see that. Mm-hmm. I think that, as I said, this great documentary on Mike Wallace, if you watch it, the same kind of thing. He, he gave a speech even, and I forget it was in the late 60s, saying the media is under siege. You know, people don't trust us. That's always going to be a part of the experience because the media is comprised of individuals. It's like when you say the church. Well, the church is the body, but of course there's some shady pastors. And there's some, <laughs> so, so like in any institution that's comprised of individuals, there are going to be people who uplift the conversation and there are going to be people who don't. And when, for example, this institution, the gatekeepers are primarily white men who are the executives of all of the networks. That's not a bad thing, but they have to be called out and saying your networks, your shows have to represent the people that are watching. And that helps to build trust. Mm-hmm. You know, and so with our show, it's the same experience. I want guests to come on who represent the audience that I want to watch the show, which means everyone. So we have an audience comprised of, I hope, people from all over, and we have guests and topics that tap into that same thing because ultimately the way you're going to trust me and enjoy the Tamron Hall show on a daily experience is if I can rip away as many masks as possible, because Lord knows we wear a bunch of them, Mm -hmm. and have an authentic experience with you. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the media and, you know, about these these gatekeepers, right? We're even thinking about this, you know, sort of Me Too era that's happening too, you know, and it's how do you think we sort of push things forward to make more shows like yours, you know? Stop sweeping them under the (laughs) rug, you know? You know how many times when I say all of the executives of the networks are white men 
I can see the reporter on the other end cringe. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, like I've said something mean. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's a fact. I mean, if I walked into a room of only white women, mm-hmm. I would feel, wow. So when women walk into a room of only men, mm-hmm. wow. So what is the difference in me articulating that sensation or that concern? Mm-hmm. That, to your point, the Me Too movement revealed what we all knew is that our industry is dominated by men. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next step is the industry lacks diversity. Mm-hmm. And that's a conversation that we can have without anybody being afraid. That's mm-hmm. how you move forward. Because if I am unapologetically a black Southern woman, God mm-hmm. bless I'm from Texas, I say it every five seconds, <laughs> and you are unapologetically Irish American, Jewish, Caribbean, whatever you are, if we're able to be ourselves without judgment, mm-hmm. then we can have real conversations. So when I say, you know, the network's are all led by white men. That's not to say they're bad. That's not Mm -hmm. a code for, oh, they're going to get us. No. But that is to say, is that the representation that we want when we are trying to hear as many voices as possible? Mm -hmm. That is a truthful question not loaded in race or gender or bitterness because I lost a job. Mm -hmm. None of that. That's the same question we ask with the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And that is the question we have to ask on all fronts. Uh, Geography. When When I went... And to national news, I remember going into the newsroom in New York. Everybody was from New York or the Northeast Corridor. Very few people were from the South or the Midwest. And I thought, wow, that's amazing that everybody grew up on the same block on the Upper West Side. How's that possible? Mm -hmm. I say that jokingly only to say you shouldn't be ashamed of where you're from. But when we look at the diversity of people in the newsrooms, we have to look at geography as well Mm -hmm. so that when we have a big moment in the media or a big news story, some of the voices that you hear are from those places. Mm -hmm. So that's how I feel. Because even then, you know, I feel like we're seeing those stories, but, you know, you hear like a Matt Lauer story, Mm -hmm. you only hear like, or you see like the movie Bombshell. It's Mm -hmm. like, it feels like it's still centered around the white people who have had these things happen to them. And I think that many of the women who've led the Me Too movement have acknowledged that. Mm And so you acknowledge it and then you say, though, what's next? That's my point. I mean, I had a great conversation with a wonderful friend of mine, Erin Carmone, mm-hmm. fantastic reporter. And we talked about having this little group of women from all races kind of come together. I, I did an event um, when I was on my break and it was influencers in the digital market. So these were executives with all of the big ones, Google, blah, 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 you know, and that's not to single out Google. It's like a big room of all white females under the age of 35 who were Mm -hmm. in like either in big positions or on the verge. So they are important voices welcoming. I don't know. It was 50 people there. I was the only black person and I was the guest speaker. (laughs) And so I was like, and I said to them, I have to tell you, I'm so honored to be here, but look around. And I said, so when we're wagging our fingers at other groups saying, you are this or you are that, look at your social media page. How many diverse friends do you have? How many of your friends are LGBTQI? What, what, what's your tribe really look like? Before you judge someone from Texas and say, look at him, that Bubba, he's mm-hmm. living in that same corner, you know, for his whole life and he doesn't know anything. We have the great privilege of living in the biggest cities in America, the most diverse communities, how diverse is your social media page of friends? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll leave it right there. <laughs> um, talking about that room, you know, where you were there and there was just all young white women mm-hmm. in it that you were there to inspire. What do you want to say to younger non-white women who, like, 
want to be in those spaces who are maybe like listening now and are like, I want to get in the media. Like, yeah. I want to do yeah. what Tamron's doing. Yeah. You belong here as much as anybody else. Mm-hmm. I wish I could write a blueprint to say, if you turn left on this street and then go right, and then there's going to be an alley, and then you're going to go down that alley. I really wish I could. That's not possible. Mm-hmm. But the mistake I made was to believe I wasn't supposed to be there or I had to have an invitation. The invitation may be lost in the mail, but that doesn't keep you out of it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's it's just a constant reminder that we belong and history is on our side. And I say that, again, based on race, but of gender. Whoever thought me too, you know what I mean? It's like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, um, all of it points in the right direction because it, I do believe people are good people, you know, bottom line. I think most, I don't believe that most people are bad and all of these other things. Sometimes it's easy to believe, especially if you go on Twitter. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, it's scary. Um, I think people just want a fair shake. They don't want to feel that someone is standing on them. So for me, just reminding yourself that the odds are not stacked against you in the way you believe. You're someone who I would consider a great interviewer. What do you sort of do to prepare yourself for an interview? Like, particularly on your show, you know, you're like, how do I get someone to share with me? How do I, you know, get an interview across that is going to affect my viewers too? You know what I think about each interview you do is connected. So once someone sees a Billy Porter interview, for example, Mm -hmm. and then they come on the show, they are also bringing in that Billy Porter energy. They, okay, I saw Billy. She, he, he was a safe space for her, for, for, for him, and that was great. And then, you know, I saw, um, I don't know, Jane Lynch on. And next, you know, mm-hmm. Jane Lynch is telling us about her relationship and the bed rules. I'm like, hey, <laughs> Jane Lynch, TMI. But, um, you know, I think each interview is oddly connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me... I work with my team. Ed Santos is in here, one of my producers. He knows. We'll email all night long. I I read everything. And then I I just try to stay in the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, I try to listen to the answer and be present in that exchange because no matter the topic, I'm honored that that person thought enough of me to come on my show. Mm -hmm. So they deserve my attention, my respect, my curiosity, uh, my safe zone. And I think that that's always something that I've brought. I started out as a general assignment reporter overnight, and basically every story I was assigned to was usually because someone was killed overnight. You know, mm-hmm. I was covering fires and gang violence um, in Dallas Fort Worth Market. So I'm knocking on someone's door at 4 a.m. saying, The police have just arrested your kid, or someone just died in your family. And you learn this balance of being a journalist, but also keeping my humanity. And that helped me along the way in interviews. And I try to always remind myself that how it feels and the power that we hold when we know the question that we're about to ask and the other person on the other side does not. And that's intimidating. And I try not to, uh, I want people to always know that they're safe, to talk about whatever. Mm -hmm. Have you had some favorite sort of interviews that like sort of really stick with you? You know what's crazy? I, I, don't, I don't have a favorite. I have a favorite feeling, mm-hmm. and that's when you know somebody is really there to talk to you. They don't have these talking points. Like Whoopi mm-hmm. Goldberg came on for the first time, and I, I've 
only known her on the surface. Of course, when you meet Whoopi yeah. at any event, you're like, Whoopi, oh my God, you changed my life. I've had the, <laughs> oh my God, Whoopi, you changed my life moments. Um, but the first time we actually sat down was on my show. And I remember she walked out and instantly I said, I know that walk. I know that stride. And she sat down and I said, I only know one other person with a cooler walk. And she said, who? And I said, Prince. And then she started to tell me the story of how she fashioned her walk, her stride, after her brother who had Mm -hmm. passed away. And she always admired his stride. And before you knew it, I was having a real conversation with Whoopi, not a talking points on her book that she had, the entertaining book. She was like, come to my house and let me cook dinner book, whatever she had. But it was a real conversation. And so that was the... I, I, I was able to exhale because mm-hmm. I, I think I, I thought, wow, I'm talking to Whoopi truly as we would in her home versus this orchestrated TV moment. Mm-hmm. And that feeling is not just a celebrity that gives you that. Um, I was in front of um, one of the worst tornadoes that struck the United States. It was right outside of Waco. And the people there had lost everything. Children had died. And this couple like looked at me and said, we're going to rebuild. And I'm thinking, I would be on my knees at a ball, just unable to function. And this raw feeling of really talking to someone and not talking at them, not anticipating their answer and going with it, it's a feeling. It's not a person. It's a feeling. And that's what brings me joy. I think i got to look back and look at Whoopi's stride. Oh, to, yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> She's got the coolest walk I know. Start walking in a room like that. I know, right, right, right. <laughs> um, and then you had Billy on the show, obviously, because, like, you've been a friend of his. Yeah. And, um, you know, the pose yeah. and, like, these kids sort of inspired you. Like, what else is inspiring you right now? Like, what are you watching? <sighs> What are you into? Uh, the last OG, best okay. show on TV. I, I just think it's brilliant. I think it is. Uh, it's Norman Lear esque. Mm-hmm. I mean, because just the whole riff on virginification. Yeah. Adult, it's just great, and the prison justice reform and what happened. This is great, and that he's got a food truck. It's so good. <laughs> uh, marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm-hmm. I'm addicted to uh, Rotten. Have you seen Rotten? I have on not seen ne- Rotten. Oh my gosh. You have to see Rotten on okay. Netflix. Okay. I love, I just, I'm a TV junkie. To, uh, Mindhunter. Mm, Black I love, Mirror. love Mindhunter. Black Mirror. Yeah. They, they lost me with that hour-long special thing that they do, the interactive TV. Oh, that, that yeah. Was t- I, I, I didn't yeah, need to choose my own adventure. I didn't need to. Tell me what I, tell me. Yeah. But I think Black Mirror is phenomenal. It reminded me of the early Twilight Zone. Yeah. That was so good. I like that kind of television, mm-hmm. sci-fi. I, I get it. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, part of the reason why I always love watching daytime, like, I still... When I'm at work, I have a coworker, Matt Rogers. He and I will like watch. Uh, we've watched clips from your show. Yeah. We've watched the View clips. Yeah, yeah. We watch um, Kelly Clarkson yeah. clips because like I just love daytime TV. That's how I am too. I you love daytime. I'm a daytime TV. I don't watch it because now I'm on it. Yeah. So I don't. I don't get a chance to. But I love to watch. Like Ellen and Kelly, they have like a variety show, mm-hmm. and then our show is more talk. And you know, the View is more like when you go to your aunt's house, and you're like, "Oh, her girlfriends <laughs> and her are getting." This is okay. I'm going to the room and watch Rotten. <laughs> but it all represents a slice of who we all are, mm-hmm. which is why it's so enjoyable. And daytime will always have a great space in our hearts because it does represent a little slice of everything. We I are. miss that '90s campy. Daytime TV. Oh, though. like Ricky Lake. Like Ricky. Like, oh my you know, gosh. The, the, the hot from geek to she. Oh no, I'm not. You know, I used but... to be fat. Now I'm all that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like that was actually a show. No, yeah, we won't be seeing that on my show. But yes, I think <laughs> that's fantastic, Ira. No, I love that. Listen, Mari. 
I said, don't sleep on Maury. Mm-hmm. Maury is still doing DNA tests and is one of the highest rated shows. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> that he works less hard than I do. I'm going to go ahead and say that. He's just swapping people down. I can get into that. Judge Judy. Mm-hmm. Judge Judy is, people talk about like goals and Jay-Z and Beyonce. Oh, Judge Judy is sitting on gold bars mm-hmm. underneath that little robe. <laughs> She's just doling out justice. I, that was going to be my, when I, if this didn't work, I was like, I'm going to get a, a, a court show called Hall of Justice. <laughs> and I was going to come in very Judge Mathis. Like, listen, don't play that. Pay him. I don't know. I think we need that segment on the show at some point. <laughs> no, 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 no. no Hall to, of Justice. Oh, I could do like different designer robes. I'm yeah. very Andre Leon Talley when yeah. I come in. <laughs> the Hall of Justice. We'd love that. Okay. <laughs> well, if second season doesn't work out, we know where we're going. Yeah, Hall of Justice. You're going to come in with me? I'll come in. You can be my bailiff, Ira. I would love that. Oh, my God. I'm like, Ira, what do you think? Yeah. That, I'm Because that bailiff on Judge Judy, he's been there since the beginning. And paid. So he must be sitting on gold Ira, bars, we too. Ira, we could own this crooked media. <laughs> we could own it with our crime. What? I'm in. I'm in. I'm good. I got to work less hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all should. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Work less hard 2020. <laughs> okay. That is so wrong. We're like mentoring kids. The goal, work less hard. I don't know about you, but I came here to relax. Uh, Tamara, thank you so much thank for being you. here. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Well, come and see me. I will. You promise? I will. I okay. will. I'll all be right. there. Deal. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. In January, Justin Chambers, one of the last remaining original actors on Grey's Anatomy, announced he was leaving the show after 16 seasons playing Dr. Alex Karev. Mm -hmm. The goodbye seemed unceremonious, and last week we finally found out where the doctor went. Uh, I want to say that when he left the show, by the way, he was just sort of gone, and then he announced that he was like leaving Grey's, and people were like, oh, his last episode already aired. So it was very weird. He, oh. was, he was just gone from the show. Was his role diminished anyway? N- not really. Oh, okay. S- sort of. But um, there's so many fucking characters on Grey's Anatomy at this point, too, now. It's like ER in its last season. Mm-hmm. Um, but this week, we found out that he has twins with Katherine Heigl's character, Izzy, and he left the show to be with them. Oh, no. When you, bring, when you say the name Izzy Stevens, I'm suddenly back in college. I can't believe that's a part of this narrative still. Uh... Despite being with the love of his life, the character Dr. Joe Wilson, in the episode it's told in Chambers' voiceover and letters written to various characters intercut with flashbacks of Karev's nostalgic moments from old seasons, and that's that. Love a write-off of a character, and it's done with um, narration and voiceover and letters. It reminds me of when... um, Matt, um, Doug Savant's character, was written off Melrose Place. Uh-huh. He had already sort of left the show, but they needed a plot point to happen in one of the last seasons. So he returned only to die 
and then everyone was wandering around reading his journal. Oh my god, amazing. That reminds me of the last episode of The Wonder Years. They didn't know it would be the last episode for sure, that it would be the last season. So at the end, you just see slow motion footage of them at a parade, not speaking, as the voiceover tells you everything that happens to every character. <laughs> and the mom is just not reacting to anything on screen as as uh, the Daniel Stern, the VO, goes, Mom, we're on to be a board chairman. Dad died. I mean, it's just like right after another, here's everything that happened. We're ending it suddenly. Uh, this is like, to me, what I would call an anti-write-off because it's so anticlimactic. And Shonda, I know she's not the one who's writing the show so much anymore, but this is the most Shonda you thing. She's not Tyler Perry writing everything. <laughs> only one in the writer's room, just her. Being like, oh, what's going on in the fire station this week? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she, I, was, I, was not, I was not surprised because the way they've killed off other characters or gotten rid of other characters in Grey's Anatomy in any Shondaverse show has been Bonkers. ridiculous. Bonkers. Absolutely wild. When they killed George O'Malley and he gets burned and then he has to go to the hospital. And, and they, they have don't to recognize him until uh, he makes 007 <laughs> like, with his hand. I hated that. I hated that episode. That when, and then even Catherine Heigl's character, when Izzy gets sent away, isn't it because Izzy's, like, Catherine Heigl herself was just horrible to work with? Yes. Oh, yes. There's a long, serious Catherine Heigl narrative on that show. We'll wait for the four part. Documentary, <laughs> Catherine. Yeah, <laughs> you know I'd watch that actually. I would too. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I want to see the Suits era. You've now invoked. Oh my God! Right, Madam Secretary. <laughs> is she still in Suits? I think so. Yeah, I haven't seen the last season. Suits. Is it still on? No way of knowing. Don't no. even ask. Uh, I was going to say also about it has a spinoff called what? Ties? Pearson. Lapels. Oh, got it. Starring Gina Torres. <laughs> We're assholes. Gina Torres. I love. Yeah, her spinoff. Pearson. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um. Now you've invoked the memory of T.R. Knight, and now I have to spend the rest of the day wondering what the hell happened to him. We nominated him for an Emmy, and then we nominated him to leave the earth? What happened? (laughs) Did we nominate him for an Emmy just because he got called a faggot on set? Was that before or after? We'll have to check the timeline. But he was nominated the same year as Isaiah Washington. Is this Isaiah Washington story with Scandal? Yes, yes. That's why Isaiah was written off. Yeah. called T.R. a faggot. That's, That's... And then he did a movie with Monique, and then nothing forever. I don't know what happened to him. Yeah. How how did Sandra O's oh's character get written off? I didn't keep watching Grey's Anatomy. Oh uh, well, Sandra O's oh's character leaves for a job, um, and they brought Burke back okay. for that episode. Oh yes, yeah, because it was moved. it was years after the faggot incident. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, Sandra moved to Europe to film Killing Eve. Is what happened? <laughs> also, the faggot incident, my favorite Robert Ludlum book. Uh, do it. Um, I think the the character leaving a TV show that we most talk about, that we most think about, is. Shelley Long on Shears because you wondered if we? I'll yeah, speak happened? for myself we? Yeah. <laughs> I do love Cheers because it's, but... <laughs> first of all if you watch Cheers the first episode it's like a one act play the entire idea of a sitcom was sort of formed in Cheers' image but we've also moved on from it it feels like you're watching a, a live show in a way that multicams don't feel to me now but I have to say right here that I stand Rebecca Howe on Cheers and I want I think gay people need to stick up more for Kirstie Alley's work on that show which she did win an Emmy for. Yeah. Don't but call just, that work. Yeah, okay. Don't call that work. But uh, I love Kirstie Alley on Cheers. Like I I've rewatched all of Cheers recently. Um I love it. Yeah. Obviously the Scientology angle does make it problematic and hard for me, but when she came on screen and I call her the people's Lauren Bacall, you know that I feel that about her. <laughs> She was like 11 foot four, seemingly. She would like have to like crawl under the door frame to get in. And she was just the the blankest stared, hardest stared, 
it was, it was she was such a rare kind of actress to be on a sitcom. I thought, and uh, she should be celebrated more, along with BB Newworth on that show, who was also fabulous. Yes, Miss BB. Yes. Um, me thinking about crazy TV character exits. Uh, obviously, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the OG. Diana Moldar leaving L.A. Law. One of the great exits of all time, of course. Um, so this was a woman who played a lawyer named Rosalind Shays, uh, and she was sort of like the bitchy ice queen of the show, sort of like a precursor to Amanda um, Woodward on Melrose Place, Heather Locklear's and character. And this is the late 80s, early 90s, so you can picture the shape of the suit she wears. Okay. Yes. Um, Triangular, this was, upside yes. down triangle. You this have was, got it. This was the <laughs> Dynasty era, too, so it was like... Eve, Everyone either wanted to be rich and wealthy like um, Joan Collins or they wanted to be a sexy lawyer in Los Mm -hmm. Angeles. Um, But basically, she left the show. So the writers wrote her out by... Having her fall down an elevator shaft. What? Now, right, right on camera. Fully now, like Buster Keaton. Like she, walks out. She is having a conversation with someone while leaving the office. She does not look, doesn't even seem to press any button, just walks and falls down the because elevator the door shaft. Is open. You've the, got no, it. No, it's 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 open like it's maintenance it's open. maintenance open. That's ridiculous. Yes, it was very ridiculous. And then after that, other people started leaving the show. And then, like, that killed L.A. Law. Now, was it one of those write-offs where the actual actress was horrible or the character just wasn't servicing the show anymore? I I think it was more of that. More of that. And also, like, she was sort of, like, the bitchy character. She, like, uh, schemed her way into becoming a partner, um, had an affair with someone at the office, and then sued them for sexual harassment so I think the audience was sort of like in a moment we're like we don't know if we like her and then they wrote her off it's sort of like if Kristen Johnston on Sex and the City were an actual character we followed for episodes and episodes yes and then of course she fell out the window in one of the wildest moments ever on TV and also by the way you get such a strange Mikhail Baryshnikov reaction to that shot that's somewhat underrated I mean that's also as insane as Bobby Ewing Patrick Duffy being written off Dallas uh, he left Dallas because he thought that he could get better roles, um, like a, a starring role for himself. And what he got uh, were worse roles on Step by Step. Yeah, <laughs> that was years later. Yeah, uh, but he left and was hit by a car because they thought if he was leaving, he should die in a heroic moment. Um, he didn't get the roles that he wanted, and he came back a year later. So they made the entire year that he wasn't there a dream. That is horrible. Yes. That is so bad. (laughs) What? Pam got up, saw him in the shower, and she was like, I had a horrible dream. Oh, my God. That's like an iconic, awful. There were no rules in the 80s. Drugs were new. Exactly. And like the writer's room, it's like the day's ending. Like, fuck it. Let's just make it all a dream. Like, that is... Yes. I'm rolling my eyes. Of course, you have to stand uh, Miss Blankenship's exit on Mad Men. Mm. Miss Blankenship was this wild secretary who mm-hmm. looked like her her features were so cartoonish she she was like a sim she had like you know the crazy glasses sim the crazy blue hair sim she was all of those in one and she would say strange often funny occasionally racist things and she eventually was dragged out of the office weekend at bernie's style by the other people in the office mad men was really good at upsetting the tone of the show at shocking intervals like occasionally it would be so funny or so violent or so strange and you could never predict when that was coming but usually got one spike of those it's like working for matthew weir that's exactly right (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's empire there's jesse smollett leaving empire which i had stopped watching empire but went back 
to go uh-huh. look at that. Yeah, did they ever Your explain why um, Jesse Smollett was written out of the show? He ran. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he is his character ran off to Europe. I knew that. And in real life, he was hate crimed. Allegedly. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we know that shit wasn't mm. real. Anyway, um, but Journey's not like killing it lately. I love Journey. They should have brought Journey into Empire playing right. yes. uh, Jamal. Oh, that would have been so amazing. Yep. Yeah. Just, just literally, just have her as Jamal and like not mm-hmm. explain and don't any ever difference. Say anything. Yeah, I still thought that they should have gone full soap opera and had him come back with like a new face or something. <laughs> it would have been fun, but Empire is not fun. Mm-mm. So um, <laughs> I'm thinking of also Nicolette Sheridan, who's been written off two TV shows because she's hard to work with. That's like the two-time, like whatever the equivalent of two-time Oscar winner is, two-time write-off. <laughs> really exciting. She was written off Desperate Housewives because of her fight with Mark Cherry. Uh, she was, and I'll just say by the way, it is perfectly okay to take Nicolette's side there. Yeah, and then she was written off recently, the Dynasty reboot. Oh uh, my God! Right, but I saw she, a preview she, clip she, of her, and she, she was she, great. She shoved into a fireplace. No, by what? her son. Her face Burns is scarred, and then when Alexis comes back, she has plastic surgery as Liz Gillies. Um, Stop. Who was playing her daughter, Fallon, um, because she had gotten plastic surgery to look like her daughter. That was just letting Liz play her for a couple episodes before she left town again, and now she's back recast as a new woman again. By the way, you fucking love this shit. You just love it, that oh, level yeah. of crazy. I do, of course. <laughs> Uh, By the way, these deaths are like how people die in the game 13 Dead End Drive. <laughs> a statue fell on her. I fell off a ladder in the library. Yeah, they're all so final destination deaths. Nicholas yeah. Sheridan then would be tied with two-time write-off with who, Lewis? Two-time write-off. Uh, oh, this has to be easy. Come on. It is easy. Oh, God. Is it a woman? Yeah. Dramas? Yeah. Well, Shelley Long, ni- technically, because I feel like she was written off Modern Family recently, but I have no proof. 90s and 2000s. Oh, God, God, God. Yeah, break it to me. It's not Shannon Doherty. Oh, duh. oh yeah, duh. I'm an idiot. I yes. should, I, I'm what? fired. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. yeah. Written off 90210 because that's not of fair. Even her... I should have got this one. It's not on you. Because <laughs> of her reported uh, fights with cast members yeah. and being difficult on set. Um, Brenda was written off 90210. Uh-huh. She went to acting school in London. Maybe the definitive 80s 90s name, Brenda. Yeah, and then Charmed. Don't talk Charmed. Her her fights <laughs> allegedly with Alyssa Milano yeah. got her written off Charmed. Where they allegedly had a Ding dong, the witch is dead party after she left the show. Yes, which, really? knowing now what we know about Alyssa Milano, I'm like, I'm on Shannon's side. Who's to say? Yeah, right. I'm like, she was probably insufferable. Mm-hmm. I-, I think my favorite thing about Rose McGowan, <laughs> Tweeting though. before tweets existed, is probably what Melissa Milano was doing on the set of Charge. Right. My, my favorite thing. <laughs> or just walking up behind you and, and just like whispering her <laughs> thoughts about the election. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing about Rose McGowan is sometime after the show, she gave an interview and like, of course I don't watch that show anymore. <laughs> you rarely hear people being like, guys, that show is not good. Yeah. <laughs> it truly was not, but it was very addictive. A charm. Who is Gene Shallot over here with the, <laughs> with the reviews? If I can um, think of exits that I feel like actually worked, Marissa Cooper leaving the OC. It killed the ratings, but the fourth season of the OC was amazing. And I feel like she bogged down the show in season three. And that's a famous car accident. Right? Yes, yes. Uh, and I also liked um, Dan Stevens leaving Downton Abbey. It gave Lady Mary something to do. 
Right, which is the whole thing. And yeah. by the way, my takeaway from the Downton Abbey movie was that we did not give Lady Mary enough to do. Oh, no. She is exactly the kind of actress that makes me feel like I belong on Earth. Because just a curt woman who has like a three-word one-liner to unleash at any given moment is like my version of a superhero. Mm. Like that's like a Marvel creature for me. Mm. And I mean, we talked about The Good Wife earlier too. I mean, like I feel like that's maybe the current definitive one um, of something that unfortunately a character exit, which the writers have no control over because Josh Charles wanted to leave the show. And it's such an amazing season and his death in the episode in season five uh, is really powerful and moving. Unfortunately, the show was never really able to recover after he left, which is always a thing, right, as writers. You know, it's like when an actor decides that they want to leave a show, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, right. You know, Pray you, for you, a miracle, basically. Right, yeah. because it's like the whole point of TV is that audiences are attached to the character and they're watching them week to week, and then when you abruptly have to remove them, it can be hard to replace them or just sort of pretend that they weren't there. Also, if they were the driving force or if they facilitated storylines for your other main characters, it's like, okay, well, what now? (laughs) What does this person play off of? Yeah. And I also need to shout out, of course, when Valerie Harper ended up leaving uh, 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 Valerie, or Valerie, Valerie's family and was replaced abruptly, or not replaced, but it became Hogan family with Sandy Duncan, a celebrity we don't talk en- enough about anymore, and Wheatthin's spokespeople exist. I feel like I also only ever saw reruns of Hogan family. Yeah. And they never showed Valerie's family. Yeah, right, right, right. No, I feel like Hogan's family is, Hogan family is weirdly more iconic. Yeah. So it worked for them. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Jason uh, Bateman directed some episodes. He was like 17. Yeah. Um, also, this is something to look into that I don't know about. Aunt Viv was dark-skinned and then light-skinned. So yes. Correct. something had to happen. Oh, the, she, Janet Hubert, uh, mm-hmm. who played um, the original Aunt Viv, has long said that she hates Will Smith um, and has... She writes about it from time to time. Oh my God. Like I remember in the heyday of Facebook, she was constantly writing things about how she fucking hated. Like him. she just wouldn't kiss his ass, and yeah. that's why they yeah, wrote that, her off. That, the that's show what or she says. Her. Yeah, though that famous scene that has sort of remained viral over the years of her killing it in an aerobics class yeah. on Love Fresh that. Prince. Iconic, hilarious. <laughs> also, it just reminds it reminds me of when like Dixie Carter got to sing on Designing Women or something. Mm-hmm. It's like. You're only doing this because you would only give a liberal monologue if they also let you sing. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. It's like they cut a deal with Janet. So everybody <laughs> dance now? Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Have you seen that, Aida? No. Oh, please wait, look wait. up original Aunt Viv dance audition to the song Everybody <laughs> Dance Now. Okay. With her, like, it's iconically. One of the most iconic moments in black uh, TV. I got you. Her iconically muscular hip bones. Yes. You've never seen anybody swivel like this. <laughs> yeah. Um,. And speaking of black women written out, I guess finally I'll say R.I.P. to Nicole Bahari mm. on Sleepy Hollow. They fucked oh. her over though. Look, and I, I saw, and we all stopped watching the show after that. That's why I get canceled. <laughs> anyway, uh, when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Hello, Lewis. Hello. I'm going to go with Aida. Oh, quick, quick, quick. <laughs> I'm feeling shady today. Um, my Keep It this week goes to Lil Dicky's new show by FX on Hulu called Dave. 
Um, if you don't know who Lil Dicky is, he was a rapper who kind of came into prominence in 2015. He's a white Jewish rapper. He had this popular song called Pillow Talking. He had another popular song called Earth, Let Me Freak. And most popularly, he has a song with Chris Brown called Freaky Friday, where he switches skin colors. He gets to be in Chris Brown's body and can therefore say the N-word. I remember this, mm-hmm. yes. Yes, so this is the man that we're talking about. I feel like since Atlanta, we've all kind of been hungry for another, at least I know I have, been hungry for another show about rap music and about entertainment that isn't like power and empire so to hear about this show I was really excited I wanted to see what he was going to do and I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt the first episode was really bad the first episode he brings on he goes and tries to get a feature for a song with YG and it's that very like look at me I'm a white man in a black environment like YG puts him on his Instagram story and he kind of blows up from there it's not very realistic. It's not a fun episode. The second episode, and this is where I started to, and my keep it actually, the second part keep it is to me liking that episode, but he goes in and he has to perform at a young boy's funeral. So there's a lot of room for comedy there. It's really freaky, really weird, but mostly my keep it is, this is not the rap show that we wanted. Mm-hmm. Like this man's not even a popular rapper anymore. And he had a couple hits in 2015 and now is just starring in a show and also it's important to mention i would be remiss not to his name is Lil dicky because he has a a penile dis dysfunction not a dysfunction that's true i didn't know that yeah mm-hmm, it is i would say go watch it but it's just it's not good <laughs> it's, oh. it's not good i didn't like it it's called dave dave i'm gonna do my louis vertel impersonation <clears throat> oh here we go keep it to anything called dave that's not starring sigourney weaver and kevin klein <laughs> This bitch right here is absolutely correct. I was going to say the same thing. It was so accurate. It was so accurate. Kevin Klein, underrated. Only one nomination. Uh, What is your keep it, Lewis? I hate to waste a keep it on this, but I have to say keep it to our girl, the coronavirus. Oh. For a couple of reasons. One, it's finally affecting people who matter, and by that I mean people in entertainment. I'm not concerned about South by Southwest being canceled. I'm not concerned about that. That's where we had our first live show, Lewis. I know. Not our best. (laughs) And I'm not concerned about Coachella being postponed. I don't need to see tech entrepreneurs wearing single strap overalls. Not for me. Mm -hmm. Not for me, Aida. I'm looking forward to fall cella anyway. Okay. You you fucking would. My least favorite season. Anyway. (laughs) It's affected the Culver City community in that Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy will now not have studio audiences for the remainders of their taping this season. Oh, how will they go on? I Okay, okay I need to stop. <laughs> it will go on and it'll be fine. That's not the point. Oh my God, that's like married with children without having the audience whoop every time Christina Applegate walks out. You know whooping in sitcoms is my favorite 90s rally. <laughs> when Stefan Urkel comes out and we have to like throw Woo! panties at him. Yeah, but here's the thing. Game shows run on specific sound effects. When you get a daily double, if there's no audience clapping, something deflates. It's not right. If if you're spinning the wheel and nobody's applauding, what are we doing? It's like an Ingmar Bergman drama all of a sudden. It's not as fun anymore, and I'm worried the dynamic will suffer, and I won't be as addicted to the mania of a game show, which, as you know, powers me. Well, one, I feel like it'll be surreal enough to want to watch. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I'm in for this um Wheel of Fortune done by Ionesco. Yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> and the shows are popular and they're not going to get canceled over this. I'm not so. saying they won't. Yeah, so you'll endure <laughs> it for two weeks. And they're, of course, doing it because Alex Trebek, uh, an older gentleman, has cancer, is, you know, uh, uh, 
probably somebody who the coronavirus would do more damage to. Pat Sajak, similarly vulnerable because he is a mean conservative person yes. secretly, mm-hmm. and they are weak in many ways. Can we just send an audience in? Just like shoo <laughs> yeah. them in? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the show's better still be amazing is what I'm saying. Okay. You don't think that they'll plug in the audio? I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I'm sure they will, because like you said, it's too eerie to not have celebratory sounds when you win something. Well, I mean, I'm waiting for when we start having ghost games of like NBA games. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Basketball players, just no, nobody watching. And that's that they can't fear. plug in uh, sound effects there. So no, it'll just be Because it would look <laughs> like plugging in sound effects, but seeing no one in the bleacher. There's something specific about a basketball game with no viewers that is so strange. It's, it's half basketball game, half waiting for Godot. I mean, I don't know where <laughs> the drama ends and the keep, entertainment we begins. We keep naming absurdist players. You, you know what? I have few hobbies, and that's Who's one of them. Who's we? I'm done at that one. <laughs> waiting for Godot. That's all I got. Go read some Christopher Durang, Aida. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see Kevin Durant monologuing in the middle of a game. Oh, your lips to God's ears. See. I'd tune in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Ira? Yes. What's your uh, my keep it is to current homosexual um, former politician Aaron Schock, uh, who recently came out on Instagram to the shock of no one. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, a pun. Correct. Shock of no one. Yeah, anyway. nobody's made that unintended and distinction. He was airing it out. Yes. See? So, so pun. He, see that right there was a skill. <laughs> what she did, I admire. Thank you, thank this you. over here, I winced. Yeah. You're just mad at my Dave impersonation. Right. No, you did very well. Um, So anyway, um, he came out after, obviously, years of not just speculation that he was gay, but confirmation that he was gay because uh, we live in West Hollywood and we've seen him trolling the boulevard um, with other white men with washboard abs uh, and putting dollars down strippers' G-strings and uh, making out with people at Coachella. Anyway, um, he's, I guess, finally come out after enough people have dragged him at bars in West Hollywood. Um, yeah, I know several firsthand accounts of people approaching him and saying, how can, how dare you not come out? How you, how dare you? Yeah, my friend Johnny Reinhardt, a um, drag queen at the bar Revolver in West Hollywood, did that while we were there and then sang the Lily Allen song, Fuck You, at karaoke and um, dedicated it to him. Yes. Art wins. Yes. Quoth Kanye. Uh, anyway, his statement, I just want to I want to parse this for a moment cuz one, the statement's bullshit. Uh-huh. Uh first he says I am gay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh That reminds me of I am me, the album title by Ashley Simpson. Go ahead. Yes, for those who know me and for many who only know of me, this will come as no surprise. For the past year, I've been working through a list of people who I felt should finally hear the news directly from me before I made a public statement. I wanted my mother, my father, my sisters, my brother, and my closest friends to hear it from me first. Okay. Then he goes on into this whole thing about how, like, he came from this, like, sort of religious conservative family. And, you know, you know, I I do feel for people who go through that. I don't feel for someone who is gay and was a Republican with a great conservative voting record and voted against the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Yeah, specific anti-gay legislation. Yes, voted against the Matthew Shepard Act, uh, was against gay marriage, and he he likes to bring up that like um, people like Obama and Hillary in 2008 were against that too. I mean, okay. Um, it'd be fine if you had done like them and ever apologized for that stance. There's no point in his coming out where he apologizes for what he's done to 
queer people. Um, and I don't think it's ever going to come. We still have photos of him hanging out with Donald Trump as recently as like two or three weeks ago. I, you know? I saw so, that. Like, yeah. He is perfectly fine with being a conservative asshole. But now that he's gay, we're supposed to what? Be nice to him, I guess. I Also, the thrust of that entire quote unquote apology Sure, there are a lot of people who grew up closeted or in a, a horribly repressive environment. Almost none of those people then go immediately on to enact anti-gay legislation. Like right. Those two things are not related. That is a completely unusual circumstance that that would happen to him. Furthermore, I didn't get a sense from his apology why he is in politics at all. No. To me, it was, he was just like, well, I, I was brought up that way, so I have no choice but to espouse these horrible things well if it wasn't for there was no sense of a belief system in here and it's like well also it sounds it like you were just involved in politics uh, using a word he says here out of pure ambition whatever that means of he course. was obsessed with prominence and nothing else well i mean if it wasn't for gross incompetence he would currently be in prison right oh yeah that too because we're ignoring the fact that he was also uh funneling um money from taxpayers to buy what like Katy Perry tickets uh, <laughs> and you know like f- flights and things so it's like uh he should be in prison one two his comment too where he tried to come at um someone for uh saying that uh his office was decorated like the Downton Abbey um set I don't know if you remember this idea so like he had made over his office at one point and then the press was like in implying that he was gay it was like it was made over to look like Downton Abbey um in this note about him being gay he mentions um that the media would always publish untruthful things about him uh and he was always getting attention because he was a single guy um who dressed <laughs> well and his had a preoccupation with um physical fitness, but he says, I was still naive enough to wonder why the news media would run with an utterly false story about me and a show I'd never even heard of and still haven't seen, Downton Abbey. Okay, yeah, well, still, there's Pinterest. I bet you looked up something in relation to Downton Abbey. Whatever. Also, also bitch, the fact that you had never heard of Downton Abbey then, lies. (laughs) Lies. I I just want to say that is a lie. Anyway. um, But by the way, everybody watched Downton Abbey. That's his loss. Sorry. Uh, Anyway, he's a useless member of the gay community. Useless is correct. Useless and actually a pox. Yeah. Not <laughs> uh, insightful. The, li- the literal toxic in community that we need to get rid of. Oh, that's right. Quoth SNL. I mean, he... I think, in a way, like, the treatment of him... We, we are pretending that it's somehow normal that, like, an obviously... Or an anti-gay person in politics then comes out later. But it's actually unusual because most of the time, historically, it's an, ugly. It's, it's an old guy who's just <laughs> been in it forever. Yeah. It's rarely somebody who's that young and then also so obviously gay. Right. So There's other politicians that we could point to, but we won't, don't need to. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying that if Aaron Schock looked like them, you would not be seeing essays from people being like maybe we should treat him with kindness and you wouldn't see people double tapping his um instagram post that i then needed to go and unfollow um it's only because he is the traditional archetype of a dumb hot white gay and people want to sleep with him Mm -hmm. i mean unfortunately that's the case there's nothing else to say about that yes but if you do that, that's the only thing that is interesting about him if you do that you will be shunned like this is the crucible Mm hmm I'm mentioning names in court. 
I am forever Joan Allen in this yes. scenario. Okay, I would say I've seen Goody Vertel with Aaron Schock <laughs> at the Abbey. Wow. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that's our show. Thank you again to Tamron Hall for being here, and we'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess, the one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 